Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us. Grab the stool. Again, a lot to talk about today. It's the Wednesday Three Martini Lunch. Jim, we've got good, good, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. A lot of it, in fact, all of it dealing with voting yesterday, two of them dealing with the presidential race. And as most folks know by now, a pretty good night for Joe Biden, a pretty bad night comparing to expectations for Bernie Sanders, and a horrific night for Mike Bloomberg. Uh, The fact that Joe Biden is on a roll is not necessarily great, but the fact that Bernie and Bloomberg are struggling, uh, we'll definitely definitely celebrate that. Uh, Jim, we probably should have got into some sort of licensing agreement with Queen before these uh, people started dropping out so we could just keep playing Another One Bites the Dust every time somebody drops out. But uh, after blowing about $600 million, Mike Bloomberg is now a former Democratic presidential candidate. Last night uh, was the first time he was on the ballot. Not only did he only win in American Samoa, he only got delegates and met the 15% threshold in four out of the other 14 states. He won none of them, but uh, got uh, to the threshold in only Utah, Colorado, Arkansas, and Tennessee. So this morning, Bloomberg releases a much longer statement than is really necessary, but here's part of it. Three months ago, I entered the race for president to defeat Donald Trump. Today, I'm leaving the race for the same reason, to defeat Donald Trump, because it is clear to me that staying in would make achieving that goal more difficult. I'm a believer in using data to inform decisions. After yesterday's results, the delegate math has become virtually impossible, and a viable path to the nomination no longer exists. But I remain clear-eyed about my overriding objective, victory in November. Not for me, but for our country. And so while I will not be the nominee, I will not walk away from the most important political fight of my life. I've always believed that defeating Donald Trump starts with uniting behind the candidate with the best shot to do it. After yesterday's vote, it is clear that candidate is my friend and a great American Joe Biden. So we'll get to Biden a little bit later, uh, Jim. And obviously he's part of these first two martinis inextricably here. But Mike Bloomberg in November got into this race, spent hundreds of millions of dollars. But in the end, he won uh, no states. In the end, he was only on the ballot literally for one day. And uh, this is one of the greatest epic failures in political history, you got to think. It is. And I think it really even if you thought he was always something of a long shot for the nomination, he was, uh, he got in late. He, you know, only became a registered Democrat in 2018. Um, I I think the Mike Bloomberg legacy really took a shot last night. Um, You know, there was a point where he ran as a Republican because he, there was much less resistance in 2001. Republicans probably felt good when he took the oath of office in 2002 to say, okay, the city's just been hit hard by 9-11. Giuliani can't serve another term. At least we've got a guy who seems to be competent, have a good head on his shoulders. And then year by year in the Bloomberg mayorality, you know, conservatives became less and less enamored with him. His nanny state instincts became clearer and clearer. Uh, but it also was kind of fascinating is that Mike Bloomberg decided that like New York City politics were going to change forever because he was just going to outspend everybody. And it really didn't matter. But <laughs> uh uh, what anybody else was saying or doing. He had thrown around money from all of his charities. Every organization in New York City had one path to Bloomberg-related funding or another. And so all of a sudden, you know, it became his city. The richest man in the city was the also the mayor of the city. 
And each one of these times, there'd be, oh, is Bloomberg going to run for president? Is he thinking about it? Is he thinking of running as an independent? Uh, my colleague, Cam Edwards, formerly of NRA TV and currently with Bearing Arms, I mean, we, we talked about this a lot of times. And the because Bloomberg was so adamantly opposed to the Second Amendment and gun rights, um, that this, you know, I'm not going to say kept the NRA up late at night. And some of them may have actually relished the idea of a fight. But this was the preeminent voice promoting gun control uh, in this country. And what happens if that guy chooses to run for president? And because he's got unlimited funds, what happens? Well, now we know. And the answer is not much. Um, it, it's as if the whole country had been in this giant political science experiment of what happens if you take a cold fish candidate, but he's got absolutely unlimited funds for, for his campaign, and he pretty much buys up the airwaves in every station and every opportunity can from coast to coast. And the answer is people don't buy it. It doesn't matter. Uh, everyone who talks about the dangers of money in politics, this is exhibit A. Mike Bloomberg uh, last I checked, his was something in the neighborhood of like $7 million per delegate. was <laughs> how much he spent. It is astonishing failure. The what-ifs you start asking are, what if Mike Bloomberg had always refused to debate and had never gotten up there on that stage and had never been gutted like a fish by Elizabeth Warren? It's, it's fascinating uh, to see how this is shaken out. In the end, no, uh, Mike Bloomberg, you were probably never going to be president. Uh, you were always probably going to be too nanny state for the Republicans and too capitalist for the Democrats. Uh, but it's really kind of spectacular to see somebody spend that much money and generate so little to show for it. It's it's, you know, we'll be telling stories about this for many years to come in politics. So officially, the fact that Mike Bloomberg is out of the race is the good martini. But, uh, Jim, there's a pretty bitter aftertaste here because it's not just the presidential race. I'm guessing that Mike Bloomberg's going to spend a whole lot of money on. There is House and Senate races and perhaps even state level races that he's still got billions upon billions upon billions to spend on. And so he's going to be a factor uh, in this campaign still to come uh, and not in a way that uh, conservatives are going to like. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, we still have Bloomberg's money to deal with. But I guess you could basically make the argument that Bloomberg's money was real, always the only thing we had to deal with. All right. Well, let's get on to our second good martini now. And that's that socialism took it on the chin last night. There's still no official winner in Maine, but Biden is ahead. But uh, out of the 14 states, Biden has been declared the winner in nine of them. And it looks like it'll be 10. Uh, Virginia, as soon as the polls closed. North Carolina, as soon as the polls closed. Alabama, as soon as the polls closed. And then not much later for Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, he ended up uh, winning Texas, which is a huge setback for Sanders. Winning in Minnesota, which is a huge setback for Sanders. Winning in uh, Massachusetts, which is not only a huge setback for Sanders, but also for Elizabeth Warren, who actually finished in third. Sanders ended up winning his home state of Vermont, of course, plus Colorado, Utah, and California. And while that's the biggest delegate prize, he did not win by the margin that he probably would have uh, a week or so ago. So, uh, Jim, this race is not over. Sanders has obviously uh, shown before that he's in it for the long haul. And you never know what Biden might say or unintentionally say on the debate stage or something. So we can't lock this down yet. But Biden is clearly the front runner at this point. And while uh, we've got plenty to be concerned about it, there's a Joe Biden presidency. Uh, not having Bernie Sanders uh, one election away from the presidency, it would seem at this point anyway, uh, is good news. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, you know, last night I kept enjoying putting out gifts of the Berlin Wall coming down. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you, depending on how you want to measure it, this is the you know worst night for socialism since the uh, Soviet Union dissolved, or maybe the worst beating for a communist since Rocky beat Ivan Drago. Uh, got a lot of <laughs> mileage out of those lines last night. Um, I mean, I suppose if you're if you see Sanders as the weakest 
opponent for Trump. Maybe you're feeling a little sad this evening. Uh, you had really looked forward to Bernie Sanders effectively conceding the state of Pennsylvania by pushing for a fracking ban, uh, effectively conceding the state of Florida through his comments about Castro. Um, you know, Bernie said, and, you know, Democrats were in a panic about, you know, not just, you know, keeping the House. I went and I looked it up. There are like 80 some state legislative races on the ballot this year. You know, Democrats in Texas know their state is never going to turn red, but they'd gained a decent number of seats in the state legislature. They were hoping to do better in 2020. They weren't going to do that with Bernie Sanders on, on top of the ticket. Now, Joe Biden has his own flaws. Joe Biden, we've been talking about them all, all primary long. He's not as sharp as he used to be. He's getting, he's starting to look pretty darn old. Um, even last night, in what had to be one of the best nights of Joe Biden's life, I watched his victory speech live, and Greg, he, he still came across as like your, your grandfather at Thanksgiving after having two drinks and being a little, being a little loopy, you know. Oh, just because um, he mixed up been... his wife and his sister. Come on, you've all done it, right? No? Okay, uh, never know, mind. Like, Go ahead. Know. Yeah, uh, but you know, it was like, at the very least, uh, he has the toughest campaign manager or spokeswoman in the business. That <laughs> was Simone Sanders, who not only took out one of those dairy protesters, there's the you know, soy milk, whatever, whoever the hell they were, two women jumped on stage, and Sanders, not Bernie, but Simone, I know we're a couple months away from the NFL draft, but Craig, I know who I want the Jets to pick. <laughs> great mobility, great instincts, fast off the start, and just just an absolute tackle takedown. Uh, this was this was Terry Tate office linebacker level moves there. So um, a little bit of a scary moment. I hope the uh, I, you know my understanding is that the president could authorize Secret Service protection for other candidates, and I think that might be a good idea. So you know, Biden has his own personal security folks. I, people are wondering. Whether as a former vice president, he would still have Secret Service. No doubt, you know, he's got his own protection, but I think we might be needing a point where this, this might be more necessary and or you might be dealing with more crazy Bernie Sanders supporters who might want to do harm to Joe Biden. It's not over yet. I, I think, you know, Sanders still has time for a comeback. And the thing that, you know, probably shouldn't be underestimated here is that, you know, Biden didn't get any better. He's the same guy. It's that the rest of the party freaked out about the possibility of Sanders winning you know, Biden can still go out there and make more gaffes and look kind of old and, and not with it and not fully aware of his surroundings. And the Democrats might have a panic again. So it's not, this is not over and done with. It was, however, an enormously narrowing night. It was, and basically it's now a two-man race. Um, and really just, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you if you like seeing socialists get disappointed, last night was just beautiful, Greg. <laughs> it is, but let me let me offer a couple of quick uh, counterpoints about the idea that socialism is uh, down for the count here. First of all, a lot of the non-socialists, or at least the ones not identifying as socialists in the primary, I would argue they're pretty hard left, like Klobuchar and Buttigieg, got out. They endorsed Biden, and except for Bloomberg, that lane was largely cleared out for him. So the late deciders uh, clearly went hardcore for Biden, whereas uh, the one person who could siphon off from Sanders stayed in. That's Elizabeth Warren. As I look at the results, it wouldn't have changed the results in several states, but it certainly would have in Massachusetts, Maine, Minnesota, and most importantly, Texas. Is that a factor worth considering here? It is, but let's fa let's face it, Greg. At this point, there just aren't that many Elizabeth Warren supporters left for Bernie to pick up. <laughs> That's yes, those three states it would have made a difference. I, you know, like it, it, anyway, with the news that Bloomberg is out this morning, I, I'm guessing the pressure on Warren is going to be enormous. Now, the interesting thing is, is that you know that there's a theory that's been, that's been floating around that Warren is actually secretly anti-Sanders, and she wants to deny him the nomination. 
and that she, you know, is, is staying in in order to hurt him. The interesting thing is, you know, if she does choose to stay in, maybe she does have that effect. Or maybe she's just the John Kasich of this cycle. And she's just decided that, you know, she's not quitting until the very end. And she's, you know, convinced that any day now the people are going to wake up. As a, as we are speaking, Greg, apparently she is reassessing her, her you know, the state of the race. What's left to assess? You, you're third <laughs> in your home state. Marco Rubio's making fun of you. <laughs> I love to make that joke. But let's point out Rubio won Minnesota. He won Washington, D.C. He won Puerto Rico. You know, Rubio, what's what's Warren done? She's about third above anywhere. That's true. So, uh, well, we, we have more to talk about Biden. I think we have a lot more time to talk about Biden. But um, I'm, I'm curious to see, given how he's drifted left and, and, and what the makeup of the Congress might be, if it's favorable to him, how uh, moderate he'd be compared to uh, – what he says he would be uh, so far in the campaign. But I want to get to a couple more things here before we leave this second martini, because I think it's worth it. First of all, uh, Bernie Sanders now has followed the Bloomberg line, because we know if you're going to learn anything from this campaign, let's do what Mike Bloomberg did. And that's that's create an ad where it seems like Barack Obama is endorsing you. So here's the new ad out from Bernie Sanders. Bernie is somebody who has the virtue of saying exactly what he believes great authenticity, great passion, and is fearless. Bernie served on the Veterans Committee and gotten bills done. I think people are ready for a call to action. They want honest leadership who cares about them. They want somebody who's going to fight for them. And they will find it in Bernie. That's where I feel the burn. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. So, Jim, uh, we throw that out there for a couple of reasons. First of all, it strikes me that that ad came about uh, at least a week too late. Bernie Sanders, after crushing everybody in Nevada, should have been running ads like that to try and win as many uh, minority voters as he could in uh, South Carolina and trying to unify people. Instead, he spent his whole week uh, trying to defend Fidel Castro, which shows you that while Bernie's a pretty good rabble rouser, he's actually a really bad politician. Absolutely. And I think one of the we periodically say running for president is hard. And I think that the more pressure you're under, the more it will reveal you. Right. And, and if you have any flaws, if you have any weaknesses, they're probably going to come out in that moment of pressure when, when stress is at its maximum. You're completely correct that when you win the first three contests, I guess, you know, Buttigieg got one more delegate than did in Iowa. When you functionally win the first three candidates, you are the front runner. You are on a glide course to get the nomination. All you need to do is go out and say, all right, now you, now you got to start building your coalition. This is a time to extend the hand. This is the time to see. You know, and so when he gets asked about, you know, uh, Fidel Castro, the correct answer in that situation is, you know, I, I've said a lot of things over the years that probably rubbed some people the wrong way. This is not the time to be looking at the past. This is the time to talk about our future. Right? just punt. Right. Yeah. Bring in people. Right. And so basically, but the interesting, no, he didn't. He really wanted to have that argument. He really <laughs> he is like your stubborn uh, in-law who will not give up the point and who's convinced he's right. And even when he's looking like a freak at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you know, Joe Biden's the, you know, the slightly tipsy grandpa down at the other end, your, your wacky <laughs> uncle Bernie will not let it go. And he's haranguing the other people that no, Castro did some good things. That 20 point percentage point increase in the literacy rate justifies the police state and the executions, right? This was, this is exactly the wrong move. And this is exactly, uh, you know, this is the, at the end of it, what happened? You know, why did if, if Bernie ends up having what looked like a, a nomination that could be his fumbling out of his hands? What happened? It was an issue of he could not compromise. 
He could not bend. He could not reach out. He is a deep-rooted ideologue. And so even when it's in his nature, or even when it's in his best interest to kind of let a point slide back and to say, hey, you know what, uh, establishment, it's time for us to work together to defeat Donald Trump and move the country in a more progressive direction. He couldn't do it. And, you know, I don't know about you, Greg, I'm going to be laughing about that for a long time. (laughs) So, Jim, March 15th is the next debate. And depending on what Elizabeth Warren does, there will either be two or three people on the stage, which for Bernie's perspective could be an advantage because that means Biden has to talk a lot more. And if there's a, a lot of verbal problems for Joe Biden that night, that could potentially reverse some momentum. The big advice I think you and I want to give out is keep the volume low because there's going to be <laughs> shouting for two hours straight. Greg, I almost wonder if Biden could say, you know, we've we've done enough debates. It's time to uh, wrap this up. You might Probably try. Probably can't. Trump did it. I just finished a, a taping of the editor's podcast. And I think, I think it was Rich who said, uh, this is the kind of, if it turns into Biden versus Trump, it's the kind of race where everyone will be better off if neither candidate is on the trail, <laughs> uh, just due to their propensity for gaffes and controversial comments and all kinds of stuff like that. And in the end, I, I don't know if obviously neither man is going to do that. Uh, both men are, are, you know, are like, like it's catnip for them. They don't do a particularly good job of avoiding controversy and, and mistakes and stuff like that. Um, but I think if you're, if you're on the Biden campaign, you're like, Sir, you you did what you needed to do. Now we, you know, let, let's let's minimize the danger, minimize the exposure. Let's just, you know, put this thing on cruise control and let everybody be the blank slate that other people can project onto you. And I, you know, I, I don't, I, they probably won't be able to get away with that. The further they go in the opposite direction, the more trouble they're going to be in. Yeah, I think that's right. Last point here, and uh, again, uh, roughly a week ago, Joe Biden could hardly find anyone to endorse him. Obviously, Jim Clyburn's endorsement played a huge role in South Carolina. And now there's just been an endless parade of endorsements. So many, in fact, Jim, that the Biden campaign is now rejecting some. One in particular, the former FBI director, James Comey, who tweeted out yesterday, voted in first Dem primary to support party dedicated to restoring values in the White House. I agree with Amy Klobuchar. We need a candidate who cares about all Americans and will restore decency and dignity to the office. There's a reason Trump fears Joe Biden and roots for Bernie. Hashtag Biden 2020. Andrew Bates, rapid response communications director for the Biden campaign, tweets back, Yes, customer service. I just received a package that I very much did not order. How can I return it free of charge? <laughs> Poor Jim Comey. That, that's a Karen moment. Uh, but yes, <laughs> you know, like, you know. I, I mean, you know, because I don't think I've ever seen that where a campaign's like, no, we don't want that endorsement. All right, let's go on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, there wasn't just the presidential election on the ballot. Several states had down ballot issues as well. Uh, things worth pointing out here is that Wendy Davis is running for Congress. She's going to go head-to-head with Chip Roy uh, in Texas 21. Uh, the Young Turk, Cenk Uyghur, Uyghur, however you say that, he got crushed in his bid for Congress in the Katie Hill seat. Uh, and Trump's old doctor, Ronnie Jackson, made the runoff in Texas 13, but he's he was a distant second, so I don't know what his odds are, are like there. And in Texas 28, uh, the Democrat Henry Cuellar won, which uh, it's going to be a Democratic seat. But he's a Democrat that actually is rational several uh, days out of the year. And so uh, that's actually a loss for AOC trying to recruit radical Democrats in the Bernie mold to to challenge more moderate Democrats because they're kind of an endangered species at this point. 
But the big race that uh, was down ballot that we were watching last night was the Alabama Senate race. Republicans obviously see this as the biggest pickup opportunity. Fairly crowded field, and you have to get to 50%. The best news of all is that Roy Moore didn't even get to 7%, did not make the runoff. He's done. But uh, at the top, you had Tommy Tuberville, the Auburn football coach from several years ago, edging out Jeff Sessions. So those two will head to a runoff on March 31st. I'm not sure President Trump realizes there is a runoff, but nonetheless, although he should, given what happened to that seat uh, a couple of years ago. But um, here's what Trump tweets after Politico tweets out. Uh, Jeff Sessions finished well short of a majority in his Alabama Senate primary. He now faces a runoff. Trump tweets out. This is what happens to someone who loyally gets appointed attorney general of the United States and then doesn't have the wisdom or courage to stare down and end the phony Russia witch hunt, recuses himself on first day in office and the Mueller scam begins. And so, Jim, it's uh, understandable, obviously, that uh, Trump uh, blames Sessions for uh, recusing himself, which ultimately led to Rosenstein being in charge, which led to the Mueller investigation, certainly after Comey got fired. But when you're trying to win back a Senate seat, and the polls are suggesting, at least from a few weeks ago, that the runoff is likely to go to Sessions and he's going to be the nominee. Weird that the president is doing this. And you have to wonder over the next few weeks whether this could get kind of ugly. I'm trying to remember, was it not the, good, not the bad Comey of Jim Comey? So Stephen Comey wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Uh, Covey, yeah. Covey. All right, thank you. Not Comey, Covey. All right, so Covey, you know, one of them was begin with the end in mind. You know, like have a clear idea of what your goal is, what is most important to you, what you want the most, and then make every decision of, you know, does this get you closer to your goal or not? For most Republicans, what do we want? We want a Republican to beat Doug Jones in November, right? Maybe we have preferences. We, we all knew that Roy Moore was not likely to do that, having failed. Maybe you, know, maybe you can't stand you know, uh, Jeff Sessions. Uh, maybe you love the fact that uh, Tuberville, which somebody pointed out, Timmy Tuberville really sounds like it should be the head of a, of a children's show about a potato. <laughs> the most important thing is, you know what? Let's win this seat. After that, we can you know, vent all we want. But in the meantime, let's just get everybody out, win, you know, nominate somebody good, nominate somebody who's going to vote with the president much more often than Doug Jones has. And of course, Trump can't do it. Trump, Trump has to weigh in. Trump has to fume. If Sessions wins the primary, you, you kind of wonder how Trump will... Uh, will react. I, I assume he would not trash Sessions uh, on Twitter, but he's certainly done that in the past. Uh, you know, I, I can understand the president having his disagreements with the uh, with Jeff Sessions and being disappointed with his performance. And, and you know, look, presidents do weigh in on primaries, so probably you will see Trump saying "Yay, Tuberville" and, and all that stuff. But um, my, you know, in the end, you want you somebody in your party in that seat, and I hope the president has the impulse control to. Uh, to not, you know, mess with that. But, uh, you know, Greg, it's Trump. Who am I kidding? <laughs> Just a matter of uh, what happens here over the next uh, four weeks. I already see Breitbart is uh, saying that Tuberville is uh, pro-amnesty. So uh, go ahead and expect immigration to be a, a key factor in the runoff campaign here. But uh, at least you'll have a nominee by the end of the month, Alabama. All right, Jim, a busy day. We'll see what we got in store tomorrow. Indeed, Greg. Heck of a Super Tuesday. Let's get ready for OK Thursday. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a kind review with five stars. And uh, also remember that those home devices like Alexa and Google Home have the Three Martini Lunch podcast. All you have to do is say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us again Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.